even in the last six, seven years, I've seen such a transformation in how people look at what they're buying, what our consumption is, because we are living through this moment of time now um, that is, I believe, the longest disruption mm-hmm. of everything, all systems and um, values and beliefs. There is a we're living through this time of disruption and that is a good thing. I believe that's a good thing because we're upending all these old longstanding um, uh, beliefs that are not working in today's world. Hello again, food enthusiasts. My name is Chris Trishkowski, your host today for the Future Foodcast, where we talk with thought leaders in today's industry and discuss the trends and technology that are shaping the future of food. Very happy to have with us today, Punita Chitwal Marma, the writer and the founder of Maple and Marigold here in Canada. Welcome to the program today, Punita. Thanks for having me, Chris. This is wonderful. Excellent. I think we'd like to get started with just learning a little bit more about your background. Where did you come from in your life and career? And what brought you up to this point of getting started with Maple and Marigold? Well, I'm, um, I'm a writer, as you mentioned, and a better food advocate and the founder of Maple and Marigold. Maple and Marigold is my platform that I started oh, years ago. It started out as a blog where I started sharing stories of family and culture and nature and wellness and tried to bring together my roots, my roots in India. That's where the Marigold comes from. Mm-hmm. And then the maple is, uh, of course, my Canadian um, Canadian life here. I live in Toronto, Canada. And Maple and Marigold became the place that um, we shared stories about culture and immigration and family. And all of that kind of came together so naturally. But over the years, I've traveled a lot and lived in a number of places. I grew up in India um, and um, I traveled around India with my dad. Um, and uh, and my family and uh, and then my husband and I moved to the Middle East in Dubai that was a wonderful experience right in the 1990s late 1990s and early 2000s the Middle East uh, United Arab Emirates was a different place altogether and then it took us a few years to Mm. find our way to Canada and that's where we are right now in Toronto Canada So you're taking this global experience and passion for travel and food, and I think also bringing cultures together is part of what you're helping to do also. And tell us more about, you know, what is the the mission and the activities of Maple and Marigold? So I'm an educator and I'm here to help people find real life earth friendly solutions. And it's always around food, right? Because food is what brings us all together. I find sitting around the dinner table is uh, it's a great place to have conversations. I'm a mom. I have kids. And the two places to have the best conversations with your family are either in the car on a road trip or around the dinner table. And uh, the influence of food um, and how it's prepared, the ingredients from different parts of the world, um, they just come together in the kitchen and That's really what excites me. I find that food and what has grown into raising that food and growing it and how it's important for our health and wellness and what goes into making that dinner that ends up on our plate every night is what really brings all of us together. Mm -hmm. Well, in some of our earlier discussions and communications, I'm 
learning a, a, some really interesting things about your views and mission. And one of the comments you'd made before, and I'd like to hear more about, is your mission to, as you say, flip the narrative on good food. What does that really mean to you? Oh, that is such, I'm so glad we're talking about that. Uh, redefining good food is something I believe each one of us needs to do, right? Because we often grow up thinking about, right, food needs to be tasty and feel good in our mouth and delicious. And that's normally the first step of, um, of trying out a new food. And then oftentimes um, when we become parents or when we have a family, we think about how food needs to also be nutritious and have the right vitamin A and um, the fiber and proteins and the micronutrients and the macronutrients, you know, all of these technical terms mm. that we think that food, that little sip of soup or the spoon of curry needs to have. But there is a wider conversation that needs to be had around food. And that's what I'm doing around the redefinition of good food, that it's not just enough to think about food from a self-centric and passive um, viewpoint of how it affects us and how we enjoy it. But we also need to think about what went into growing that food and how the farmers were treated and whether it's fair trade, whether it's organic or regenerative farming. There is a long list of of musts that we need to consider as we think of that bite of food and how we're feeding our kids. The choices that we have made as a society that have gone into um, raising and growing that food and how it's impacted the health and prosperity of our planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, I, I think what you're describing here is essentially, if you will, foundations of sustainability in food production, um, distribution, consumption, and our awareness of food. I, I often, I think maybe this is kind of a, a Western approach of sustainability. Let's go after it. Sustain. How do we be more sustainable? But uh, I, I feel like this is a, a more holistic view that you're presenting. Of you know, let's really think about what we're doing here and building up and understanding all these different aspects ultimately leads to you know achieving these sustainable goals. Whether it's supporting the growers of fruits and vegetables, for example, all the way down to the entrepreneurs who are producing it and delivering it to us and how is it getting to us. But that in bringing the cultures into that is so important and really helps us to understand sustainability globally. Which is what a lot of my writing and um, my videos are around, uh, Chris, because bringing my Eastern roots and, and as you rightly pointed out, in some cultures, it is natural for us not to waste even a, a tiny piece of that broccoli, right? We often buy that, that whole uh, flower of broccoli because that's what it is. it is, it is a flower. And then we often use just the crown and the tops and we leave the stem, stalks, leaves behind. But in India, I've learned growing up that it is natural to use every part of that broccoli because they're all delicious, they're all nutritious. They're great for our gut health and our mental health and our bellies and why waste food? And that's one of the big pillars of, of the conversations I have around food waste because we are wasting so much food. 58% um, of the food in Canada, and I think the numbers are very similar in the States, is literally the food that is more than half the food we grow and raise. It, ends up in the landfill. 
-hmm. and it's a cause of an enormous um, amount of greenhouse gas emissions. 30% of the greenhouse gas emissions comes from agriculture and food waste. And so if we can make those changes in policy and in our personal um, lives in the kitchen and at home, imagine the good we can do. Yeah. And I think one of the areas you're touching on here, of course, is food waste. You know, sometimes, you know, maybe looking back, it's, well, it's a cost of operations for big companies and, okay, well, this is just what we have to do to be more efficient and make more money. And what's really, one of the things that's really interesting that we've seen on other um, sort of entrepreneurs that are joining this podcast is they're turning that entire waste stream in some cases into new businesses, mm. recovering that food. Frankly, a lot of the food that goes into landfills, as we've learned on other podcasts, there's nothing really wrong with it. It might look funny. The apple's a little bit misshaped, but the apple's still perfectly good. And really interesting to see that that aspect of sustainability is not only being more recognized due to, I think, the good words and information that you're putting out and people like yourself, but literally entrepreneurs turning these opportunities into businesses. Is this something that you see more of in you're in Toronto, is that correct, in, in the greater Toronto area? Yes, so I, I'm in Midtown Toronto. The view is gorgeous from my window here. Um, but uh, yes, I, I think this is one of the big trends of 2022 and beyond where we can ignore this perfection, right? We want the apple, as you rightly pointed out, to look like an apple. The idea of what uh, an apple is in our head is what we want to see in the grocery, um, on the grocery shelves. But that's not real life. Nature is not perfect, not at all perfect. Mm -hmm. And so the bumpy, bruised, odd looking carrots and the bruised apples and the wilted greens, even they're as nutritious and can be made as tasty. And so it's really reassuring that there are so many people who are putting their passion and their money and their skills at business behind there are all these great examples, right, of people who are transforming food into delicious meals. There are mm -hmm. food banks in Toronto, in Canada. I know there are food banks um, that specialize in this kind of food in the States, too, that are transforming things that would end up in the landfill. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with um, with the food that ends up in the landfill. And we can do so much as business owners, as well as as um, as people, mm -hmm. because Food is the one thing that we all need, right? We're all eaters and we should really all be cookers too, if that's a word. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder in kind of branching off or maybe expanding on that uh, trend that you're seeing both in waste reduction, but also more respect and appreciation for, let's say the, the variety of food out there. Mm. I think because of, you know, international brands, expectations of, you know, really manage your, your production and a perception of a consumer demand that says, I want the same thing every time. When I open this can of salsa, when I open my beverage, it has to be the same every time. And we talked to a fair amount of food designers also, and it really is part of their mission of how do we select ingredients so that this product tastes the same every time over years. Mm. And, and I wonder if part of this trend that you're seeing also might be leading into more acceptance of well, maybe my batch of salsa or my whatever product I'm buying from the store might vary a bit from time to time, as long as it's delicious every time, mm. maybe that's okay. Um, which leads to maybe more 
ability for the smaller producers to get into the market. And, you know, that batch of cookies is a little bit different than it was last time, but it's just as delicious. And maybe it's also managing our own expectations, right? Um, mm -hmm. That we expect that batch of cookies to be the same. But in real life, which is part of the work I do, is uh, all of the recipes and the tips and insights and meal ideas that I share are often around how people can take them and then adapt them to their own life. If the recipe calls for celery and there is no celery and the harvest of celery in wherever you are, right, whatever local means to you, if celery has had a sucky harvest, uh, to paraphrase my 16-year-old, then let's use leeks. And the taste might be a little bit different, but it will still add its own um, flavor and its own leekness into that recipe. And it'll be delicious. And it goes mm -hmm. back to, right, the cookies and the packaged foods as well. If one kind of flour is, is really not... Um, because that's what we're seeing now with all of these supply chain disruptions and... Um, and climate change, we're seeing that agriculture in Canada, in the States, uh, in Europe, in Asia, in, in India, um, there are various crops that are getting hit in different ways. So I think we all need to be flexible as business owners and as families and households and mm -hmm. look at um, grocery shelves from a point of view of building blocks that we are here to create food that is delicious. And let's see what's available. Mm -hmm. and what's sustainable. Yeah. yeah, and I think let's think a little bit more also from the consumer side and you as a, a food evangelist and uh, really a long-term student teacher and entrepreneur in this space. I imagine that your method of outreach these days is primarily electronic, you know, social media and, and these ways. And that's how consumers are learning more about all these things that we're talking about. How do you see sort of trends and people's interest shifting in how they learn about and want to know more about the food that they're consuming with this technology that we have literally in our hands everywhere we walk around today as smartphones on our computers and our iPads, whatever. How do you see people becoming more curious and what, what are they looking for in their products? Well, I think people are looking for transparency. We are... What I hear in conversations on the internet and on social media, Instagram is a great place to have conversations, I find, is that people want to know where that orange was grown and who, who are the farmers, where it's mm. from. And so if we can offer the story of that orange, I know there is a more techie word for through all of this new technology, we have NFTs and blockchains, if we can offer that story of the orange from the tree in, um, I don't know, Morocco, and how it ended up on the grocery shelf in Denver. People want to know, and they want to know that their dollars, when they open their wallet, is not only helping stock their mm. own fridge, but also doing some good. They want to know that they their money is, is ending up to do good. So that's actually the other trend I'm seeing in conversations online is this, how people and planet and how we now people understand that what, what our actions, the, the direct impact of our actions is often on the community and the planet, even before it impacts us, it's impacting those around us. And, um, and so the transparency, people want to know, and they want to use this technology, right? Mm -hmm. This wonderful world of technology, we want to use it for, for tapping into, into what's behind the food. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I guess it's probably fair to say that this isn't necessarily a new interest of people, but it's become possible for this interest to mm-hmm. be realized because of technology. And so we're starting to see some of that emerging. But I, I've also heard a lot, and I'm sure you have also, the entrepreneurs out there providing food products to people like me and the rest of us, what it, you know, key considerations are, of course, taste and cost. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like to some extent that becomes, it's almost like a business school mantra or something like that. It gets beaten in the head of entrepreneurs is it taste and cost, taste and cost. That's what you have to do. And I feel like this interest in sustainability and people starting to make buying decisions based on how, where did a product come from? What is my perception of its sustainability in the world? And how am I affecting the world by consuming this product? It seems like that's breaking through as a, maybe not the first or second, but an important decision point on, Mm -hmm. am I going to buy this product or not? And is it fair to say that you're seeing that in the market space? Yes, very much so. Because what I find is, you know, even 10 years ago, I started in this space, maybe six, seven years ago. And even in the last six, seven years, I've seen such a transformation in how people look at what they're buying, what our consumption is, because we are living through this moment of time now um, that is, I believe, the longest disruption. Everything, all systems and values and beliefs, there is a we're living through this time of disruption. And that is a good thing. I believe that's a good thing because we're upending all these old, longstanding um, uh, beliefs that are not working in today's world. And they never mm-hmm. did. We we just had our blinkers on and we lived through it. Um, and so now it's, I'm really glad to see how people are looking for that information and also actively seeking it mm. out to see how they can make the changes in their own lives. And that's part of the work I'm doing. I'm writing a book around good food and how it's so important to redefine good food. Um, And I see this conversation. We um, middle-aged people like you and I have have lived through the last 20 years of, you know, how life was. Um, When I talk to my kids, it's always the the good old days, right? More so than uh, my parents. And because they lived through the 60s, which were hard times. And I feel that is the kind of shift we're now seeing in terms of Mm -hmm. cost and uh, shortages. And we need to think about not just the moment of time that we're in that we want to enjoy, but also our long-term goals for the planet and for our community. Yeah, you sounds like you're spending a lot of time on the book you're working on at the moment. And as we maybe mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, um, sort of redefining what is good food. Tell us, if you can, a little bit more about sort of the key thoughts that you're finding in your book um, and what we might expect to see in that uh, when it's coming out. So thank you for asking about that book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, it's about, so uh, for years now, I've been writing about the three pillars, the three core pillars that I feel are important in this world of food. And that's how the food tastes how it impacts our personal health, so our mental health and our physical health, and then also how it impacts the planet. And so those are the three core principles behind the book. I have a framework and I give people a teaser of that framework on my website on mableandmarygold.com. I call the framework Eating with Benefits. And it's a five-step strategy uh, framework that people can adapt 
and you can adapt it now. You, you can pick it up, rework your own family uh, menu plans and adopt it into your life and make it your own because we can get started today in, in um, reworking how we shop, how we eat, how we cook. And, and there's so many things that we can make, that we can make afresh, that we can change mm-hmm. about our own habits. And, uh, and so I, I give a little bit of a teaser of eating with benefits on the website. It's already live, but the book is still a year away. But in the meanwhile, there is all this conversation going on, right, between um, my audience, as well as, uh, as well as on social media and through my readers, that we're all looking to make a difference. When we open our wallet and buy groceries for our family, mm-hmm. We want to know we're making a difference, not only in our own lives, but also in the lives of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're willing to work for that. I'm really glad to say we're willing to work for that. And I'm, we're not willing to spend as much, which is great because I'm not, um, you know, things are going to get expensive. That's what a lot of the data and the research scientists tell us. Things mm-hmm. are going to, there's going to be shortages food in particular and other things will be expensive. And so what we can do is to use it judiciously. So reduce food waste, reduce what we throw away and not just in terms of the food that we throw away, there's uh, so many other things, right? Mm -hmm. To use what we have and to extend the life. Uh, Repairs are coming back, mending is coming back. And so there's so much we can do in our own lives that is, and this is a good time, right? To talk about how we can change and people are so ready for change. Right. And I feel like that may also help accelerate this trend toward local production of food, because, Mm. you know, if you have huge production base of tomatoes in one part of the world and very low cost there, and okay, we sure we have to ship it halfway around the world, but by the time it gets to Toronto, well, it still costs a little bit less than it would cost for, say, new technologies in, in, mm. in greenhouse growing, which are just tr- taking off everywhere. But maybe this imbalance make essentially more evens the playing field, if you will, for local producers. Do you see that possibly happening as well? Well, uh, I'm on the fence about local. I'm all about supporting local um, as much as we can, right? But I live Mm -hmm. in Toronto where the growing season is possibly, I think, four months in the year. So the rest of the time, either if if we're supporting local, then it's either Mm -hmm. potatoes and parsnips or imported tomatoes. And I think there is a lot of advantage to supporting other, the global economy um, and global farmers there is a lot of advantage in that I I would love to be able to support well the orange farmers in Morocco and the tomato farmers in Italy and be able to buy that I think there is so much better that we can do in terms of um, the wastage that goes on Mm. the distribution how long things take and it is going to take longer right now um, with all of these shortages things do take longer so I, I feel as if there is a big policy shift needed and Companies need to step up. Of course, the governments need to step up, but, but, but companies need to step up in the way we source and make sure mm-hmm. that the farmers in Morocco and in Italy are being paid the right wages to yeah. grow those tomatoes that end up um, on my kitchen counter. And, then, and it's, I think that's part of the uh, decision process that consumers are wanting to make now that mm. this is becoming technically possible to understand where food is mm. coming from. I wanted to kind of, if you will, throw a curveball at you and ask you to look into your crystal ball and thinking about it is going to be possible using these technologies to, for example, have 
very good transparency of where an orange came from, or if you're eating a granola mix, where did all of that content come from? And also the quality and certifications that go along with that. As this becomes maybe ubiquitous, say five years from now, and we're growing into that at the moment of that really, I would say robust transparency in food supply and production, how might you perceive that customers buying patterns may continue to shift? Right now, maybe we say that the key purchasing decisions are based on what's it cost, mm. how much does it taste, and, and maybe do I like the color of the label? But when we have this possible flow of information, how might you see um, consumer patterns shifting significantly, if at all? So I think this kind of feeds into this other trend that I see, and that is collective action. So people, mm. you're seeing more protests on the street, and there's more um, people who are you know, getting together on social media and in real life. And so there's mm -hmm. this collective push for action. And I feel once there is more transparency with uh, how that orange was grown or that tomato or whatever, and then the journey it took to get to our um, get to our grocery shelves. Once we know that, once as consumers, we have access to that information, oh boy, there is no telling what changes can happen, mm -hmm. right? And then in that moment, if we want to support local or if we want to support, like if I have roots in India, I mean, I do have roots in India, but I have roots in India and I want to support a company that I know, um, spice company that I know grows the best cinnamon and the cloves and the black pepper. Mm -hmm. And to be able to actually actively track the black pepper that was grown in the mm -hmm. hills of uh, Southern India and how it ends up to Toronto in a right. you know in in a Loblaws in a supermarket here is to be able to support that journey oh, no telling what consumers can do right once we have yeah. that information I feel information is power data is power mm -hmm. our models are totally antiquated like our climate change models and our weather models and everything else I think they need to be completely transformed and that's a whole other conversation Chris sure um, yeah, but yes but there's so much we can do right mm -hmm. and it's an interesting point about people gathering together and this is of course not uncommon it's been going on for millennia but again this technology is facilitating people to gather together behind for for example there's this amazing tumor grown in this part of the world and I'm able to get it here you don't just, it's not just a bunch of people in Toronto. It could literally be people from all over North America in a particular online community. And what we, this transparency and traceability in the food chain, a lot of that is linked to some particular aspects of technology. Sometimes, you know, people throwing out the words of blockchain and these mm -hmm. types of things, but essentially decentralization and distribution, you know, of decision-making around the world is very, very trendy today, especially in the younger generations who are now starting to make decisions for the world. And they're not teenagers anymore. They are in some very important roles. And some of them are, many of them are billionaires because of the, these technologies that they've been developing. So they have a lot of influence. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like that your comments on this collective groups coming together, making decisions, is only greatly enabled and accelerated by the technology platforms that are based on sort of decentralized governance and decentralized systems enabling that. It's so wonderful to see people 20 somethings and 18 somethings, you know, people who have 
control over the wallets now and they're starting their careers. It's so wonderful to see the desire, the passion, the drive, the ambition they have to not take any BS and to Mm. make things better. I find their values are so many people, the conversations I've had, it's, it's wonderful to see. I mean, I'm, I'm a middle-aged woman. I'm 47. I've been blogging for a few years. I have two kids, um, 16 and 11. I'm on Instagram and I'm on Instagram with a lot of 20 somethings. And it's wonderful to see, um, conversations that the 22 year old is willing to have about um, fair trade and community support and food and cooking and they want to learn to cook at home and Mm -hmm. it's it's just heartwarming it's scary of course because we live in this very disruptive world but it's also really heartwarming to see Mm -hmm. how these two generations are just coming together yeah and I I think you know my sense is that these generations tend to be more, certainly more focused on sustainability um, and let's and say- equality and justice. There's a lot exactly, of social justice. Exactly. Um, yes. I, I heard an interesting analogy. I don't know where it was on some other podcast that, you know, in the sixties when this was happening and the younger generation was very, very disruptive and the older generation is like, well, that's fine. Just because you, <laughs> you, you don't really have any power to affect what you're doing. Whereas today- the younger generations, they not only have the power, but they also have the money in many mm-hmm. cases to affect what they're doing. And, and they're building these technology platforms mm-hmm. that the rest of the world is starting to use. And I think maybe this is kind of a, a sneaking trend up there that people don't really realize until five years from now, then it's just going to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's not just going to be some fringe people talking about crypto, but there's this amazing technology platforms that you're talking about that enable these great changes and sustainability to further develop. And things are moving faster now than they were 20 years ago. And I feel that is because of the technology, right? Things, Mm -hmm. it's easier, faster um, for people to get together. It's easier, faster for people to get the message out so much faster. You don't need to stand physically at a um, um, street corner anymore to put your sign. You You can just start a hashtag and in a few minutes you have a conversation going Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's uh, a lot of good to that where the speed of collection is people can just get together in a few minutes but there's also a little bit bad Um, you know the downside is that the conversations that negative conversations can also bring people Mm -hmm. together and so quickly and so we have to be watchful about that I feel if we can use this technology in um in the way that it is meant to be used, it, there's just no telling the change right. we can we can impact and very quickly. Well, I think it's very encouraging for us to see and hear the positive change that you're experiencing and that you're helping to bring and the importance that you're seeing of transparency, of different technologies bringing that transparency to our food products so that we can literally see all the way back to a grower in Morocco through our magical handheld devices and that you have happening a perception. Soon. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but it's great to see that you have a perception that this is the trend, this is the future that is actually happening now. And um, you're helping to build it along with a lot of other people. Yes, it's 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 heartwarming, it's exciting. I think we're at the cusp um, of enormous change. Um, 
we just need to be open to um, to what's good for the most number of people. Excellent. Well, it's it's an inspiring podcast we have today. I have like very positive, great philosophies that we're talking about that are literally supported by the technologies that we're using every day. I really appreciate you being with us today, Punita. This was great, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcasts. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. Thank you.